I need to take a pause for a second here because I need to take a drink of this mimosa that my wife has brought me so that she can refill the glass. <laughs> I'm Phil DeLuca. I'm Shivan Putt. And we are Commander In. Thanks for listening, everybody. We put a spotlight on community issues. Oh boy, do we. But never, ever talk about three banned topics. Religion, politics, and Hearthstone. I suppose we should say we never talk about three banned topics on the podcast, but... By all means, tune into our personal Twitter accounts, all of them. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> uh, a lot of people wonder how they can help the show, and the best way ever is just to tell a friend. That kind of warm referral, hey, buddy, listen to this, is the best way that Commander gets into more people's ear holes. You can also leave positive reviews wherever it is you get your podcast from, because that... That goes into their algorithm, and a lot of people like it, give positive reviews, and then uh, iTunes is like, hey, let's show it to more people. Don't forget to visit us on YouTube and comment, rate, and subscribe, and of course, play us to the very end. That actually matters. So ring that bell and watch us to the end. We're going to be doing a lot more video content. Ring that bell. Good gracious. Smash that bell. Smash it. (laughs) Hit it really gently. Caress that bell. (laughs) Show it that you love it. Since the total age of the podcast hosts and guests today is well over 100, <laughs> we really have no idea what the kids are saying these days. <laughs> we could ask our kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Or you could take the incredible step of joining our wonderful Patreon and PayPal and GoFundMe community by donating to us at patreon.com slash commander and MTG or commanderandmtg.com slash donations or go to GoFundMe, search for Commander in, and use the one with the C logo that comes up, not the smiling face of our former co-host, Sean Watson. We have a wonderful show lined up, but before we get to that, we want to thank our sponsors. That's right, we do have sponsors. You folks, the people who've already donated at the links that I mentioned before. And each week we like to call out three of our Patroni... This week, we'd like to thank Trenton Ma, David Alberto, and longtime friend of the show, The Stibbs, who also, uh, you guys might recognize his name because uh, he's also part of the Commander Advisory Group. Welcome to the party, The Stibbs. (laughs) Yeah. So thanks, everybody there, and thank you for donating. It's wonderful, and we do appreciate the support. Remember that new patrons, before you sign up, and start donating to us, you can get in on the funny name game because we will read whatever name you put in your name field. You have 140 characters or an old-style tweet. (laughs) Old-style tweet. (laughs) It is. It is. (laughs) R.I.P. I know. I miss those days. My stories were only 120 tweets long instead of 60. (laughs) (laughs) We will read your name out loud, and if it does violate our very strict family-friendly protocol, then uh, we'll have to bleep you. There you go. But it'll be adorably bleeped, so it's okay. 
<laughs> and Shivam, we have a wonderful show lined up for our listeners this time around. We are going to talk about the brand new Commander Advisory Group. That's an official group that will help keep the Commander format healthy and thriving. Ban all island. <laughs> oh, oops, did I use my inside voice? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I heard only words I agreed with. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, we do celebrate the color square here at, at Commanderin. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so full disclosure, because a very important event in Commander in history happened not long ago, about a, a week and a day or two ago. Shivam Butt has ascended and has accepted <laughs> the role of a member on the Commander Advisory Group. Ascended is a word pulled out of the pit like a gotcha toy is another word. You know, like, it feels like more like one of those claw games at an arcade that reaches down and is actually looking for the Jimmy Wong doll, but missed and gets the, the Shivam can of soup instead and pulls it out. And you're like, oh, I, I guess we got something. <laughs> yeah, and you're Sheldon. Well, I, I guess I'll keep that one. <laughs> so to discuss such weighty changes to the way the Commander format is uh, formatted, we brought back on the show another old friend of the show, Sheldon Mennery. <laughs> Say hello, Sheldon, if you can. I know you're dealing with an important Commander issue right now. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having <laughs> me on. Look, man, it's like... There was a Leovold sighting at a commander table in Czechoslovakia, <laughs> and Sheldon needs to run right now. <laughs> well, I, you know, honestly, we have a landline in the house because it's cheaper to, you know, with the cable package to have the landline, but we never use it. So I never even think of it as, you know, potentially on. It was funny because at school, my, uh, I mean, at my son's kindergarten, they were like, hey, your son doesn't know his phone number. And I'm like, that's because we don't have phones in the mm -hmm. house? Yeah, I'm, I'm, we're the same way. We have some, you know, voice over IP, and it's just a number now that rings. And we actually haven't plugged in our phone in like six months. So <laughs> I get voicemail on you know, in, in email, and sometimes I listen to it. Most of the time, it's a wrong number. Some old people from Long Island asking their doctor <laughs> questions. And uh, <laughs> I'm not even kidding about that. So <laughs> one of the ways we use the landline is, um, you know, I live in Florida, so our houses are built to hurricane codes, and they have to be able to withstand 150-mile-an-hour winds. So the walls, sure. the walls are extremely thick, and there's... You know, there's a lot of structure and straps and things like that. And there are just places in the house that are kind of dead zones to cell sure. phone service. So, that makes a lot of sense. So there will be times I'm like, uh, can you call me back on the landline? Yeah. I mean, my mom's house is the exact same way. And my house was built in like 1950 something. And so there's a lot of just random metal in the walls at places <laughs> that you don't expect. So you walk into a room and suddenly all the internet connection went away. And I'm like, oh, I guess we're in like the alien spot now. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's one, like the one selling point for keeping a landline around is like, oh, sometimes you just can't talk to me. Maybe that's a positive, actually. So we have gone far afield. <laughs> Sheldon, I, I think we have several new listeners. What are you saying? That people don't tune into us to talk about landlines? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Back in the old days, telephones needed wires. So we have several new listeners who may have been born after that period of time <laughs> and and so may not know 
who Sheldon Mennery is. I doubt that's the case, but just in case, let's uh, let's tell them a little bit about who you are. Well, I'm a uh, full-time trophy husband to my actual <laughs> rocket science uh, scientist wife. Um, I'm putting the last touches on a master's degree in English literature. Um, this is my, my final semester and, you know, I'm doing my portfolio and everything. Um, I'm also, uh, inveterate foodie like Shivam and uh, a wine collector. Uh, I write a weekly column on commander at starcitygames.com. I host a podcast called Elder Dragon Statesman, which as you've obliquely referred to, uh, is the only <laughs> commander podcast that can boast over a hundred years worth of hosts. Uh, I'm a two-time cancer survivor. And um, I may have been a level five judge and created EDH. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Wait, level five, does that mean you get to wear the red shirts at the Pro Tour? Yes. Okay, well, that's pretty cool. I believe other than when, like, a Watsy person did it in the beginning of the Pro Tour, I believe I've worn the red shirt at the Pro Tour more than anybody in history still. I fully believe that, especially now that the Pro Tour doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah, well... <laughs> Whatever we call the Pro Tour. Toby may have caught me, but I'm not sure. That's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty neat. So you've been around a while. I have been around once or twice, yeah. <laughs> and, and you said you had something to do with uh, maybe the creation of VDH? Yeah, well, uh, I didn't necessarily create the rule set, but uh, I brought this very sort of poorly defined rule set into the public eye. It was a bunch of, bunch of my friends in Alaska... Uh, when I was stationed up there in the Air Force, were playing it. And again, it was very, very much in the prototype stage at that point. Uh, and then I grabbed it, I refined it, I did some thinking about it. Uh, eventually, in 2004, wrote an article about it on Star City, then took the format to my Pro Tour judge friends. The rest, as they say, is history. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was touching a flame to a gas-soaked stack of dry hay. Oh, goodness. And, and it caught fire pretty fast. Yeah, it did. That does actually bring up one question I did want to ask that's been actually coming around the community since the CAG was announced, which is, how did you decide on 100 cards? Or like 1 in 99? 100 seemed like a nice round number. It sort of enhanced the idea of the, the built-in variance in the singleton format. Hmm. We wanted to differentiate ourselves from other formats from the 60 card format and i believe five color the five color 250 format was still a thing at some point uh in the life of the chromatic or something like that chromatic yeah early edh but yeah it seemed like a right number that was not too many because nobody wants to shuffle 300 card decks um, <laughs> and well one guy does yeah right <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> yeah. And then, like I said, just sort of reinforcing the the high variance uh, singleton nature of the format. Cool. We uh, recently had that guy on Twitter asking why it's not 250. So hopefully he's listening to the show and heard that fine explanation. I mean, look, man, Battle of Wits <laughs> needs to be played somewhere, okay? <laughs> somewhere, yes. Just um, not here and not right now. Thank you. Um, <laughs> You know, you you use that word need, and I'm not sure you it means what you think it means. <laughs> oh god! There is nothing of... more fun, Sheldon, than uh, tutoring to go get your battle of wits in a 250 card. Yeah, bag. it's like, all right, guys, you know, uh, come back to me in like 20 minutes. I'll find it. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. 
one of the things that uh, what's the Peter Griffin thing? Grind my gears <laughs> is people tutoring in a commander game and not know what they're tutoring for. I mean, tutors are bad enough, right? But then when somebody's like, oh, I don't know, I'm looking for... And especially if you've got, like, a birthing pod chain, you oh, got to know that what you're sacrificing your solemn simulacrum for. I, I think we call those a Vanifar chain now. Yeah, Vanifar <laughs> chain. So, speaking of Vanifar, when I first saw the name of that card, it put me in mind of Yennefer of Vengeberg... <laughs> who is a character in Witcher 3. I've been playing Witcher 3 for a while. As a matter of fact, uh, it's one of the things that helped get me through recovery from radiation treatment and surgery. Um, it's a great game. It's immersive. Uh, it's not as sort of intentionally and horribly difficult as the Assassin's Creed games. <laughs> which I, I, I just, I think, I think they make themselves difficult to play yeah. on purpose as a distinguisher and I just I'm like I don't have time for you I want to play a game that I'm actually playing it's an ever tightening spiral of audience right so I can't think of Vanifar without thinking of Yennefer <laughs> I don't know my, my nickname for her is birthing blob she's a, a birthing pod slash ooze elf and I'm like that's just such a gross gross idea but that card's gonna be real fun yeah, and I, you know, people are like, oh, are you going to emergency ban it? No. Well, no. It, so here's the thing about emergency bans. If Grizzlebrand didn't get emergency banned, pretty much nothing else ever will. Well, Grizzlebrand was banned in 30 days, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it just, I mean, it, but it, it just so happened that that's when the, the rotation fell. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a plan of any kind. It was just, you know, it just happened that that set was released within a few weeks of a meeting. And we're like, no, we're not emergency banning it. We'll let it run around in the wild for a few weeks. And we, I mean, we knew from day one that we were banning it, but there was really no need to, to panic. How did the rules committee communicate over all the shrieking about <laughs> Grizzlebrand? Like, well, that's got to be really loud. Uh, well, by text, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, though, like, I feel like, the rules committee moving at a rules committee pace is kind of one of the hallmarks of EDH because EDH is a casual format, right? Like, there's no money on the line here. So what does an emergency ban mean for EDH? Like, that's so weird. Are we going right. to go to somebody's house and take their take their grizzle brand away? Like, <laughs> come on. I was talking to Gavin Verhey at the, uh, at the pre-pre-release about some of these issues and some just cards in general. And he was like, look, man, strong cards are allowed to exist. Yeah. And I was like... That's a very good point. You're allowed to have one card be the best card in the format or in the set or whatever. You're allowed to have cards that are just like, man, that seems really brutally strong. Yeah, well, we get, we get to play Soul Ring. We get yeah. to play Soul Ring. Like, it's okay for a strong card to exist. That's pretty insightful. Maybe somebody should put you on a an august group of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> I I can't imagine. I mean, I guess I'm just sitting here in the, the claw game waiting for someone to pull me out. <laughs> <laughs> but that's actually why we brought you on here, Sheldon, not just to talk about the birth of EDH, but the fact that recently at the uh, end of last month or so, um, or I guess midway through January, it feels just like weirdly, you came up with the idea of a commander advisory group and uh, somehow I managed to find myself on it. So I was thinking it would be real interesting if you could maybe share with the listeners and the commander community at whole kind of what your thoughts are on what this means 
what this is and uh, what we're planning on doing with it. We have a twofold purpose for the CAG. The first one is to offer expert advice on managing the format, right? There are, there are four of us and the format is huge. So a little advice from very, very smart and very, very well-connected people is a really good idea, right? And the second is to provide better communication between the rules committee and the commander community. I think one of the criticisms that I've heard frequently about us is that we're we're sort of these ivory tower people who have lost touch with the boots on the ground, as it were, in the format. I think that's not the case, uh, but the CAG, I hope, will help make sure that both that perception goes away and that it never does become the truth. So by leveraging people who have large followerships, we think we're getting more great information that's well distilled through these very, again, smart and engaged people. I'll be honest, like, uh, aside from you and like, uh, Scott, I didn't know who was on the rules committee. I had no idea. And it was, uh, and I'm, I should technically know I'm, I'm one of the connected people. Right. And it's not necessarily that you're in an ivory tower as much as you guys probably never in- imagined that the EDH format would become as big, as widespread, as like just all encompassing as it has become. And it probably just kind of outgrew the the reach that you had in general, right? Yeah. Well, especially back to your first point. Yes, it grew way bigger than we ever, ever expected. It was meant to be from the get go, the sort of anti-tournament format. It wants and has always wanted to be its own thing uh, in its own space. So I expected that its appeal would be limited. Um, Not the first (laughs) time in my life I've ever been wrong about anything. (laughs) Uh, But that's a good kind of wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we have a, a reach because, you know, we're all of us are figures of one stripe or another in the commander community. For example, we don't travel to the number of events that we used to. You know, I, I retired from judging in 2011. You know, I was going to 15 big events in the course of a year for a while. Yeah. Um, I retired from judging in 2011. I kept that, uh, that pace up for a couple of years as a member of the coverage team through like 2013 when I went back to school. But, you know, we, f- we find that we're not, we're not, out in the bigger community as much as we used to be. And Hmm. I hope that the CAG can be a better link between the RC and the bigger community. That makes a lot of sense. So what is the mandate of the CAG? Well, uh, Shivam can tell you, we're still still putting the uh, final touches on a charter for the CAG. But, I mean, their their primary role is to advise the RC on all um, facets of the format. They're going to work closely with the RC to shape, to execute, and promote the philosophies and the policies of the RC, which means they're going to have a hand in sculpting the future of the format. That's really, really exciting. Uh, It's actually kind of like, I remember I was talking to Rachel when the announcement went out and we figured out who else was on it. We were sitting there going like, dude, (laughs) like, like it was kind of just like three or four dudes going back and forth, just like, do you know what just happened? I'm like, no, what happened? Oh my God, what happened? (laughs) Like, we're like, what does this mean? Um, it's real, real exciting. But um, yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about uh, Beyond Me, like who you picked for this? 
the members of the RC were doing the picking, but we solicited the advice of a lot of people whose opinions we trust to include mm. some of the people to include some of the people who ended up on the keg. Cool. You know, so we reached out to Josh Lee Kwai and Adam Staborski and said, "Okay, you know, we we trust you. Uh, here's the basis of this idea. What do you think? And who would you recommend?" And Shivam was actually one of the names that just kept coming up from everybody that we talked to. <laughs> that's uh, uh, that's amazing. And everybody, like everybody on the RC, knew you in one fashion or another. <laughs> what? <laughs> so uh, uh, Josh Lee Kwai and Adam Staborski are on another name that came up even more than yours did, I'll, I'll say, is Rachel's. Like, everybody was like, you got to get Rachel. She is a really, really cool person, and she knows a lot. One thing I noticed from a lot of, like, when I was reading up on, like, you know, various comment threads who were talking about this, she's not as well-known as some people. However, like, she writes about, like, you know, competitive EDH really, really well. She's a really strong player. And she's she's one of the people that I like to think of as, like, a content creator's content creator. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I agree. Like, your favorite content creator follows Rachel's content. Is what I'm saying. And right. uh, she knows way, way, like, she's got an incredible, um, like, eye for this stuff. I was super impressed after a, a bunch of people had brought up her name. I'm like, well, let me see who this person is. And uh, I did some investigation. And then, uh, you know, I found out she followed me on Twitter. So I followed her back so that we could exchange a few DMs. And I was super impressed by her crisp knowledge about magic and about the format and her ability ability to articulate it and just this perfect balance between sort of an expert level of knowledge and a commitment to serious fun yeah she's great we did a little project that uh still has to see the light of day back in uh, september with her and she is just a blast and she's an awesome brewer her decks are flavorful and efficient that's exactly what i like from commander decks it was a good pick. So uh, one of the other choices was Charlotte Sable, who is a high-level judge and a super rules guru and was an early adopter of the format, one of its, one of its uh, primary evangels back in the day. You know, just a, a person who's, again, super smart, well-connected. We wanted to avoid, since, since me, Gavin, and Toby especially were or are high-level judge people, and Scott was even a level three judge at one point back when he was a TO. Right. Um, we wanted to sort of avoid the most most of the judge um, uh, influence because we already had it. Right? Sure. So when we were we were doing and we we didn't just pick individuals we picked this team like an archetypes. Yep. And uh, Charlotte is smart, articulate, uh, driven. Uh, I mean, just like a she's one of those people that I knew would sink her teeth into this full um, full bore, no stop, no regard for her own personal safety, right? She was just, she's, <laughs> she's just like, I, we're, we're going to go for this because it's the kind of commitment that she brought to the judge program. Cool. And then I think the only person, we, other person we haven't talked about was is Ron Foster. In addition, in addition to being one of the finest people you'll ever meet, Ron Foster, uh, I have called in print probably the most significant person in magic whose name you might not know. 
I believe that. I, I don't know. I think I met him first time at like a GP, I think maybe in Vegas or Seattle or something like that. He's just such a friendly and pleasant dude. Yeah. I've known Ron for the longest time. And for those of you who are looking for, okay, what has Ron done for magic? Um, the biggest thing is he opened up magic and commander in Japan. He's of primary responsibility for uh, getting things happening in the Japanese march market with magic. Uh, he was in organized play at Wizards of the Coast for 18 years or something. Um, That's crazy to think about. Yeah. Given that magic in Japan is like the one of the biggest like magic playing communities in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And uh, he was also one of the early adopters of of the format in the Wizards of the Coast offices. So uh, it was at a pro tour. I'm pretty sure Atlanta 2005. We were playing after work. I mean, after, you know, the rounds had ended. We're sitting in the hall playing, and Scott walked over. He's like, let's go get some dinner. I was like, well, we're in the middle of a game. He's like, what are you playing? Uh, he's like, well, we're, we're about to finish this one. Sit down and play this. And I handed him my Lord of Tressorhorn deck. And about five seconds later, he's like, oh, my God, this is the best format ever. Lord of Tressorhorn? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Lord of Tressorhorn, really? Yes. <laughs> well, I guess 2004, you didn't really have a lot of choices. So Sacrificing your creatures for fun and profit. It's a really good deck. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. So Scott Scott was the one that took it back to the offices, but pretty quickly he and uh, Ron and Aaron Forsyth all really jumped on it. And again, like, like it's spreading through the judge community, it spread through the Wizards of the Coast community. And here we are. And again, Ron, Ron was primarily uh, responsible for that. I would say that Ron is the most casual of all the casuals on the keg. <laughs> um, His decks are amazing. Yeah, but he, he makes good and interesting and fun decks. So, yeah. And again, like, like the other five folks on the keg, he's bright and he's capable of articulating his thoughts and to some extent ex uh, separating his own personal desires for what needs to be thought about for the greater good. My favorite deck of his is a five-color deck. It's five-color tribal, and uh, it's almost entirely changelings. <laughs> so he has a lot of cards that are kind of under-costed because they only give warthogs plus two, plus two, and tramp. You know what I mean? And <laughs> oh, God. It's very funny. Yeah, it's, it's, it's devastating. It's hilarious to watch. There's yeah. a lot of those random just like tribal lords for tribes that you're like, I didn't know the box cutters were a tribe in Magic, but okay. <laughs> it's like, wow, Noggle Tribal, you say. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ron's got it in there, too. It's fine. He does. Now, how do you see it working in conjunction with the Rules Committee? So there's two schools of thought, and I think we're leaning toward the, the second one I'll describe. The first was that the CAG would operate pretty much completely independently and then quarterly come up with some recommendations and feed them to the RC. I think the path we've decided on and is probably better is just this continuous collaboration between the CAG and the RC, where we'll always be talking. I mean, uh, Shivam is, is working with Stibbs on standing up a Discord server for us so that we can uh, continually collaborate on things, that we don't have to wait for everybody to get together in order to make a decision. So, you know, things don't need to happen with any real immediacy when we're talking about stuff. So if there's a meeting scheduled in April of the RC, the CAG and the RC can chat about it between now and then. 
you know, there's not a there's not a deadline of a week before that they need to provide us input. They'll have been providing us input all along. Uh, there will be times that we will task them with things or ask them specific questions. Hey, we're thinking about banning Squire. Or, you know, I'm sure there's going to be... The RC is pretty set on our stance on Planeswalkers as commanders. I think in our early discussions, the CAG also is um, thinking in line with that. But it's the kind of thing that we would go, okay, what do you think and what do you hear? Hmm. What, you know, what's, what's the support for or against this thing? And of course, we're going to count on the CAG to bring stuff to us as well. Hey, did you know, you know, there, there's an uptick in this, that, or the other. So one of the things that I was definitely thinking about as like, I've been looking at the people who are on there and reading comments and just thinking about what we personally do. And one thing I've like, people are like, oh man, Josh is going to be on there. And that means he's going to remove commander damage or Shivan's on there and he's the king of Timmy's. And so we're going to get like crazy power creeped up. And the thing is, honestly, uh, the, the people who are on here are not quite as like hardcore avant-garde in terms of like rules shifting as people think we are. Like right. we're kind of more on the conservative side of like the format needs to stay the format, right? Like commander still needs to be recognizable as commander. And also, I think people are misjudging that the idea that we have the power to unilaterally ban everything. Like, suddenly I'm like, I'm not the king of commander that I can sit there and just say, like, now, forevermore, all uh, copies of Narset are banned forever because screw that card. No, it's not. It's more like... But please, do that. Yeah, right? But, like, no, it's it's more that, uh, like, all of us, like, in our discussions that we've kind of been having privately and in the email chain... The general idea is that we all really care a lot about Commander. We all care about what the Commander should be and how to help keep it go- growing. Mm-hmm. And we don't necessarily agree on like you know what should be banned or shouldn't be banned or whatever that is. But we at least in a mature way know how to talk about it and present a case, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think what the main role of the CAG is is the fact that we all as in our capacity as like podcast hosts or as content creators or as just people on the internet or people with play groups, we see and talk to a lot of people who play commander in a lot of very different ways and possibly ways that the rules committee hasn't run into yet or might not have run into or, you know, whatever your groups are like. And so we can bring these perspectives like, Hey, I know that you guys probably never thought of this weirdly degenerate combo that's going around, but uh, maybe you want to look into what you think about this interaction or, Hey, you know, everybody in like this area has been really, really keen on using the uh, intro Planeswalker deck, Planeswalkers as commanders. Uh, here's a case on maybe why that might be okay, but probably not. I don't know. You know, whatever. Like yeah. that kind of ex- examples. I feel like the idea is more that rather than being just like given the keys to the kingdom, it's more like we're just acting as a broader network of ideas that can be brought in. Right. And um, it's never bad for decision makers to have good advisors mm. the rc sort of is the rc will still be the decision makers of the format but we would be kind of dumb if we weren't listening to the opinions of smart people and one of the things i think you do as a leader this is a a, a big thing with me philosophically as a leader you don't surround yourself with people who completely agree with you on anything mm. As a decision maker, I don't want people who are, who are going to go, 
yeah, boss, whatever you say, that's a great call. I, I don't need that. I, I'm already aware that my, my decisions are pretty good or the thoughts that I have are pretty good. Now I need, <laughs> I, now I need somebody who's, um, who I respect to tell me that I'm wrong. I think Abraham Lincoln was the one that, like, the first great leader to have advocated doing that. And he's, and his whole cabinet were people that hated him. And he got, I think he got good input, input that way. Yeah, it was called, like, Team of Rivals or something, right? That was a very good mm-hmm. book. But um, that was a very good movie, too. Uh, but the thing is, like, for instance, Josh is a very data-driven person. I'm a very emotionally driven person. And so that's going to bring a different kind of vibe to the table. Like, we're going to have different perspectives on what, like, because I know already that me and him don't necessarily agree on everything in terms of commander, mm-hmm. but, uh, <laughs> but also it's just like, it's good to have somebody to talk to, to bounce ideas off of. Right. You make operations, you form institutions, but the first thing you do is find a philosophy. Hmm. And I have to tell you that there was a single word that drove me thinking about the CAG. And that's diversity. That's hmm. diversity of thought. That's the diversity of opinion. That's diversity of personality. It's it's everything, right? We don't need more of ourselves to help out the, the RC. Hmm. Honestly, I mean, quite frankly, we don't need another privileged straight white dude on the RC. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So... So, you know, bringing people that represent the whole of, of the commander community, of this, the very, very broad, very, very diverse, very, very socially aware commander community were a really, really important part of, of the CAG. Hmm. I didn't think that was one of the primary reasons for selecting the folks, but I could tell, right? Obviously, you look at everybody there, and that breadth of diversity is wonderful and it's something that organizations should be striving to do and yeah it's really cool yeah i mean i don't want anybody to think that that there were any affirmative action selections here (laughs) Um, no you know it's i'm a big believer in representation uh i'm also i'm also consciously aware that people that when i say we i mean the collective humanity has unconscious biases for things and yes and I want to fight what, if I have unconscious biases, I want to fight them as hard as I possibly can. And when it really comes down to it, all other things being equal, and there are certainly more than six people that could have served on the CAG, right? Hmm. I bet you there are 60 people that we could have chosen. When it comes down to it, all things being equal in all decisions, not just the CAG, I'm always going to choose the person that comes from a traditionally marginalized group. Sure. If that gets the straight white cishet dudes up in arms, sorry. Well, not, not even sorry. That's the way it is. <laughs> That's the way it's going to yeah. be. A, turns out you still run the rules committee. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Again, we want opinions and um, personalities to reflect actually the people who are in the commander community. And we didn't, just pick individuals, we pick the team. And seeing a bigger picture of how that team integrated together was very, very important. I think that's actually a really great idea because especially since Commander has become such a globally played and like, I mean, I know when you guys were asking me, I was like, you guys should really talk to, I don't know, Japan or Europe or something like get the perspectives of players from 
the areas that we have no idea. Like, what does Brazilian commander look like? You know, what does right. commander in the Philippines look like? I'll tell you what I'm what I'm hoping there is that because of the reach of the members of the CAG, mm. that we'll be able to find that out. You know, could we have a a Japanese or a you know a Far East representative or another European representative? Sure. Or could we have a South American? Sure. Um, Again, one of the things about the keg is I don't want it to get too big. Right. Because I think once it gets big, it starts to get homogenized or just individual voices start getting drowned out. I'm, I'm a big believer that the best decisions actually get made by individuals, but those individuals have the reach of a great set of advisors. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. So, I, so back to the point, I, I'm really hoping that the, the CAG members have that broad reach into every corner of the the commander verse and right. uh, and can bring them in very exciting it's like it's really neat that commanders shaking up a little bit like that like if this didn't exist i know i would have been like suggesting that it should exist <laughs> i don't know I'm, I'm very excited to see what we can do together in collaboration to try to make commander better because obviously the one thing that we all have unifying is that Commander is the best format and that we all love playing Commander. Um, Seriously, though, like I love Commander. Like It's my favorite way to play Magic. I'm very excited to be able to help kind of shape it in a direction that'll keep it being uh, open and accessible as it has been. We're not looking for a philosophical change. We're not looking to make try to make Commander into something other than, than what it is. But we're, we're definitely of the mind that we could use additional input in, sure. in better refining that. Um, and one of the things that we're going to be talking to the CAG about, uh, as a matter of fact, she doesn't even know this yet, is refining the Commander Philosophy document. It's been out since 2012, I believe. It was written in late 2011. It's strong, but it's still seven years old, hmm. right? So honing that for the 21st century is something that we're going to ask the CAG to do, to help us do. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's again, we're not in any way, shape, or form trying to change the heart. Right. We really want it to continue to be the most popular casual magic format. Um, quite honestly, I believe that Commander is the most popular magic format ever. It is. I think that's actually true. I think that's... We should probably find out, but I, I feel that that's true because it feels like everybody... I mean, yeah, like people play Standard and stuff, but Commander is like the perfect casual way to play. Mm -hmm. So we want it to maintain its space as the the social. I, I think I like social better than casual uh, sure. as a descriptor. But to maintain its place as a social format, as a respite from tournament formats, as not necessarily the anti, you know, I, I've said it before, the anti-tournament format. It, I don't want it to stand in opposition to tournament formats. I want it to be sort of a safe space away from them. It's interesting you say that because I, so I introduced two kids in my uh, office to play magic. I mean, I say kids, but they're like got to be in their twenties or something. We, I, I was teaching them and we were just like showing and they've all become very into it once the pre-release and all that. And I was showing them one of my commander decks and they're like, wow, you must be able to destroy people with this super quickly. I'm like, well, this game, this deck will win in like two hours because, you know, <laughs> the point of commander is that I don't want to win right now. I want to sit and enjoy the next couple hours with my friends, hang out, have some drinks and just chill and play some magic, right? Like, yeah, to me, the ideal commander deck isn't one that wins on turn four. It's one that wins after you and all your friends have had a great evening together. 
Right? Like right. that should be the goal, in my opinion. I've said it before. I'll say it again. They'll probably write it on my tombstone. The secret to this format is in not breaking it. Yeah, I agree. One of the, my hallmarks is that I'm basically like the king of playing utterly, absurdly busted cards in the most fair way possible. Yeah. Right? I, like I, that's my entire, I mean, that's like when I play, when I play commander and something, I've got like, you know, cradle, I've got the guy's cradle in my deck. I've got all these cards that are just utterly busted, but I play them hella fair so much so that they're like, you are not using, you're not maximizing the value right. of the card. I'm like, no, I am. I'm getting like two and a half hours of good time out of this. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big believer in Jason Alt's 75% solution. Absolutely. Mm. Build casually, play competitively. Um, just, you know, get, get there. If it, if something incredibly broken happens on turn 13, that's fine. Think about how long it takes to get to turn 13. <laughs> If it happens on turn three, it's a problem. Does that mean we are finally going to see the removal of all tutors from the format? Oh, from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> Look, I like tutors because I think people should be able to play the cards that they own. One of the best things about Commander to me is that the pool is so wide and we get to play cards in this format that we don't get to play otherwise unless... And like vintage is like prohibitively... Uh, expensive to get into legacy is prohibitively expensive but in edh i can play things like soul ring and demonic tutor and whatever right. i think it's it's less about the strength of the card and more about getting people to understand that the idea is not to just hammerlock somebody right like don't don't put me into like a if your deck is going to do a thing that's cool do it but if it's going to take like 12 turns and you're going to make me watch you sit and like flip your deck over 14 times have a win, yeah. please. Yeah. Good for, <laughs> like, good for you. Wait. Good for you. That's not fun? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, look, man, it's like, if you can't win right now, then don't do the thing, please. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly ag agree with you. I, I mean, there's a, a feel and a result we're going for. Um, and I guess one of the things that uh, we'll also charge the CAG with is, again, helping refine that vision. If the, if the philosophy is this, how do we maybe differently shape the band list to reflect that, if at all. You know, if banning all tutors, I, it's not happening. Please, nobody panic. <laughs> banning all <laughs> tutors is not going to happen. If that was an idea, I would love the high-quality brains on the keg to, to hash it out. Um, you know, we think, you know, we, we certainly had a discussion. Uh, Scott and Toby came down in late November or early December, late November, to, to help take care of me, um, after my last run of treatments and um you know so so the gretchen could go traveling for work again so we basically had an impromptu rules committee meeting uh, and looped gavin in uh and talked about the idea of okay so are are we best serving our own philosophy mm. we're, we're gonna ask the keg to look and say well the philosophy's fine but here's where you're going wrong um or the, the philosophy needs some updating. In order to get to the, the sort of game state you want, this is how you might want to adjust the philosophy. Mm. We believe, we collectively, the RC, believe that too much mana too fast is detrimental to the format, but we're also of the opinion that Sol Ring is not too much, too, too much mana too fast. Mana Crypt? Mana Crypt, um, uh, we're more divided on. Like, and here I was about to advocate for the unbanning of Rafellus. <laughs> like, I love that card. I really, really want to play that card. And there's nowhere for me to play that card in the next he's had. <laughs> Do you know my 
Rofella's story? I do not. Okay. So one of my Monday Night Gamers, Michelle, was play was a is also a sort of casual, very, very casual commander player, and played in some of the old Armada Games leagues. And I you know, I knew that she was a huge Rafellos fan. She had a Rafellos deck and you know, it was basically an elf ball kind of deck. And she had a she had a deck that she played that had Rafellos in it. It wasn't the commander, but it had it had Rafellos in it. Uh might may have been when we still had Band as Commander and and Rafellos was was oh, on yeah. the list. We were playing some casual games before the league started, and I knew Michelle was coming, and I made an arrangement with the shop to um, to help me out. I bought an extra copy of Rafellos, and it played out perfectly. Yeah. Like, turn two, Michelle drops Rafellos, and at the end of her turn, I stand up, scoop up her Rafellos off the table while I'm palming my copy of Rafellos, and I walk over to the counter and take the the terror or the murder, I think it was actually murder, uh, in my hand and staple it to the Rafellos <laughs> and come back and drop the drop the stapled Rafellos onto the table. <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> That's beautiful. And about the time she started panicking, of course, I produced her copy, you know, her, her unstapled yeah. copy of Rafellos. Uh, yeah. But... So, listeners, Rafellos is uh, two mana, <laughs> two green mana. It's a 2-1. Tap it to add one green mana to your mana pool for each forest you control. And totally uh, the fair. part that makes this sweetest is it's from Urza's Destiny. It's part of the reserved list. And so is a $20 card. Right. <laughs> um <laughs> That I, I'll tell you that that stapled Rafellos is framed and hanging on the wall in Michelle's house. I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, don't, yeah, I don't hold your breath on Rafellos. <sighs> okay, well, now that I've just uh, announced my withdrawal from the Commander Act <laughs> advisory group. <laughs> Sheldon, are you planning to use this as kind of a farm team where when somebody on the RC is like, I'm tired of living the good life, <laughs> um, <laughs> the lush, the, the adoration gets to, to you too much, you know, the, the, the constant gratitude and thanks of the entire community and the power. Gratitude and thanks, yeah. Yes, the gratitude <laughs> and thanks we know is out there. From all those Leovold players. Right. At that point, do these people ascend further are they like demigods right now and then become gods well i don't necessarily want the keg to be seen as a stepping stone to the rc but at the same time it would sort of be silly it would be silly of us to not have put people on the keg that might be able to assume an rc role right so right. so i think that exceptional performance on the keg certainly is going to qualify someone better to be on the rc but yeah, I wouldn't limit myself to just saying that the next RC member will come from the gag. Hmm. I, I want them to be separate, and I don't want... I, I really hope that we don't... We, we've selected people that probably aren't going to think this way. But, you know, N plus one syndrome is a thing. And um, I, I hope to keep the gag at a remove so that it's not, it's not an assumption that CAG membership is, a, is the next 
move toward RC membership. Sure. But it would be pretty surprising if we were like, oh, we decided to add guy that plays in Toby's local group to the RC. And, you know, six people on the CAG are going to go, what the hell? What's all this? You know, we, we did all this work. I think it's, it's, a, reasonable, it's a reasonable expectation that um, future RC members do come from the CAG as it stands when an RC opening comes up. That makes sense. So, Sheldon, as someone who is not selected to be on the CAG uh, and probably is never going to be selected to be on the Rules Committee, therefore, um, I still want to be involved so badly. So if you need a strong group chartering lead, like somebody who can actually help a group organize itself, this is one of the things I do professionally. So, you know, and I'm completely impartial. To be fair, to be fair, your name came up. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that I brought it up myself. And everybody was like, no way. <laughs> it's like, is that the dude with the eye patch? <laughs> Yar. Again, there are there are definitely a, a greater number of qualified people than there's room for on the keg. So I, I yes. really hope that, that neither you or anybody else sees it as a slight of any kind. Nobody that we considered was disqualified. So we didn't go... Okay, we're considering all these people. Let's throw that one and that one and that one off the raft. That was never part of the calculus. It was here. Here is the best group that I think that we should go with, and that's mm. sort of how we. That uh, you know, was the process of how it got refined. So I would bet that friends of yours that are on the keg would be perfectly welcome for any help that you might be able to give them. Yeah, you should find some friends on the keg, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should. I was looking at the CAG list because I was in the process of sipping Mai Tai's poolside when this uh, announcement came out. And I was like, wow, these are all people we've had on the show or intended to have on the show, with the exception of Charlotte, because we didn't know her. And so it's easy enough to extend. Like, Rachel, we're going to have her come on to talk about uh, Commander, Commander Cube. Cubes and, of course, her decks, because she played in that video series we did in September. And Josh Lee Kwai, we keep trying to get on, but he's uh, he is a genuinely busy man, and so it's tough. He's been on the show already. That was before Game Nights, though. Yeah, Game Nights is an all-encompassing thing for him, man. Yeah. Yeah. And and Stibbs has been on. Stibbs, of course, is just an icon in the community. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful to see. We're planning on having him back at some point. Me and him, we're, yeah. we're talking about that in Oakland, and so, uh, yeah, it should be fun. Yeah, and then Ron, I met Ron at Seattle, and I met him again at GP Vegas, and just, he's so amazing, and I want to have him come on to talk about the five-color tribal deck he runs. I just don't want people to think that it's somehow like, we're like already a hermetically sealed kind of like, uh, you know, fraternity of people or whatever. Like, no, all of us kind of found out at the same time, and we're like, we know each other because content creators know each other. That's just... Mm -hmm. That's just how it works, right? That's not, there's not a conspiracy here of any kind. <laughs> it's, it's more of a bond forged in battle. Right. <laughs> here's, here's one of the things. The RC is intentionally quiet about its own internal processes. There are strong reasons for why we don't share every bit of information about how we make decisions. First of all, it's my job to go out there and stand in front of the bullets. <laughs> yes. But it takes, it takes a great weight off of Toby and Scott and Gavin that they don't have to. They don't need to get bombarded um, by the... Let us call them the interested masses. <laughs> the interested masses, sure. <laughs> so, I mean, we, 
we have we have a general you know I've I've talked sort of generally like how we how we vote to um, ban or unban a card you know the process by which but we have worked together meaning the four of us have worked together in one form or another going on twenty years now we're yeah. we're all very very close friends how much closer friends can you have than those who fly to your house to take care of you in the aftermath of cancer treatment so that your wife can go back to work, right? right. I mean, that's a friend. So we're all really close. So we don't have to really have lines of demarcation. We don't have to have procedures uh, like another body might. We do our thing and we trust each other. We know there's no gamesmanship. You know, it, there, there's all this sort of um, collective bonded interest between the, between the four of us. What I hope for the CAG is an extra layer of transparency. And one of the things we're writing into the, into the charter is that the individual CAG members are free to publicly discuss whatever that they talk about or recommend to the RC. Hmm. So now we're going to ask that they talk about their own individual things, not somebody else's stuff. You know, we leave, if uh, Rachel has something to say about an issue, that's for Rachel to discuss, not for Shivam to discuss about what Rachel said. Right. But we hope, I mean, I hope that they use their platforms at their, at, at their discretion to, to talk about these things, to talk about processes, to talk about why they, they supported the thing, why they disapproved of the decision. I think that's fine. Uh, I think that if dissenting opinions are good enough for the U.S. Supreme Court, they're good enough for us. And plus, it's like, what's the point of having these platforms? Right. If we can't use them to try to engage with the community and say, hey, this is what we thought on this process. What do you guys think about this process? Yeah. Where do you think we should go? This is the way I went. You know, it's like, I mean, that's why we have these platforms. That's why we have these podcasts and stuff to talk about Commander, right? Like, the whole point is to solicit feedback, to bring back, formulate an opinion and bring it to you guys. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I keep using the word distill. We really hope that the, the CAG does become... Uh, a sort of an agency of transparency so that folks can get a, a deeper picture into uh, the decision-making process, at least as far as the, the recommendations that the CAG gives us. Uh, and, and of course, it will make our job a little harder because we have to then be able to articulate why the CAG recommended a thing and, the, and we decided not to implement it. It's part of good decision-making, though. I think yeah. I think that every every system needs critical review. I think that every system has to have its foundations challenged every now and again, if for no other reason than for the people fostering the system, making sure that they are aware and can articulate why they're doing a good thing. That's a very good practice. The uh, the term I'm familiar with is uh, continuous process improvement. Yeah, exactly. Right you have to know what you did, why you did it and it, and talk about ways maybe you could do it better. Mm -hmm. And then still partly joking because I know I'm sure you have enough people on there who can do it. That's my job. <laughs> like I am paid many many dollars to do exactly that. So if you need something, I'm here. Lines of communication between the two of us have always been open, so <laughs> <laughs> feel free to to ship me whatever you want. <laughs> no, Phil's skill set is why our podcast works, let's be real. Because if I was in charge of this, it would be a smoking crater on the ground. But probably wouldn't have smoke because I would have forgotten to get the smoke. 
it would be it would be a crater coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you a couple of tools actually that might help. Yeah, uh, but I'll do that all offline. <laughs> it's like here's a place where you can buy some gasoline. Anyways, so yeah, uh, <laughs> this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Sheldon. absolutely. Um, I know personally, I was really happy because that means that I know what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, but I hope that this helps the community at large understand what the rules committee is doing, what the CAG is supposed to be doing, and how they can kind of help us shape the way Commander works. Honestly, like I said from the beginning, I think Commander itself is doing just fine. There's no real complaint in the community that I've heard of. But now is a good time, if you do have complaints, to come to me, come to the other members of the CAG, and tell us what you guys are uh, frustrated about or happy with. Give us an idea of what you think Commander is and what it should be. And uh, let us see what we can do to convince these stodgy old dudes to <laughs> change their mind. Like, personally, I feel that like Commander is more of a family of formats than just an individual format. Like, I think Commander, uh, CDH, uh, Brawl, all these things are kind of in this, re- like a language family, the way that Spanish and French and Portuguese are all, you know, romance languages. Like, we've got a Commander family of, like, Commander itself is a, f- like, an umbrella term. And underneath it, there's all these different formats. And I want to try to serve or at least bring attention to as many of these as I can to try to make sure that everybody is being served properly, right? I think the caveat there, of course, is that we can't make Commander all things to all people. Sure. Right? That trying to do so is an exercise in futility and ends up with a a horribly homogenized product. Right. Commander... And as as long as I'm drawing breath, Commander is going to be what it wants to be on its own terms. That means that we're going to continue not sculpting the ban list to suit the, the right, competitive. Exactly. Magic, right. Exactly. It, right. It's it's not a it's not a statement that we hate competitive magic. You know, I've I said, and I think even on this very show, uh, I think I would stack the the competitive magic resumes of the rules committee against any other four people in the world. Yeah. Right. We love competitive magic. That doesn't mean that everything has to be competitive magic. Exactly. Hmm. Well put. And I look forward to the uh, ban on all tutors. <sighs> if only. <laughs> <laughs> well, listeners, this has been an amazing show. As always, Sheldon, when we have you on, it's it's filled with this incredibly deep conversation that actually has and can continue to go on for hours we ought to have a a kind of a no holds barred sort of like there's no time limit we're just going to talk until we're our throats are parched we'd get like two or three people to listen (laughs) other than the editors (laughs) those poor guys so thanks for hanging out with us everyone we hope you've enjoyed this show and let us know what you think of it and especially if you have any questions about the commander advisory group please feel free to write to shivam and of course (laughs) sheldon and all of the other folks who are on it as shivam put it the best way to get your questions answered is apparently incessant lobbying (laughs) Um, (laughs) oh god Don't do this to me, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) No, Sheldon did it. Oh, no. If you like what you just heard on this show, please consider donating a buck a show so we can keep on improving it. It really does help. You can go to patreon.com slash commander at MTG or commander at MTG.com slash donations or to our GoFundMe and search for us and use the one with the C logo, not Sean Watson's smiling face. 
And special thanks to the people who've already chosen to do that. You are our Patroni, and we are incredibly grateful for your support. So, Sheldon, how can people get a hold of you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at the cryptic Sheldon Menery on Twitter. By my name on uh, Facebook. You can certainly find me every Thursday writing about the best format in Magic History on StarCityGames.com. You can find the Elder Dragon Statesman podcast, which Anthony Alonji and I will begin to reboot here in the near future uh, at legionsupplies.com slash EDS podcast. Uh, thanks to our friends from Legions who've been great about uh, helping, us, helping us do that. There's also an Elder Dragon Statesman Twitter account. Uh, Anthony mostly monitors it. Uh, I kick in things every now and again. So if there's things that you really, really hate about the podcast, tell them to him. <laughs> uh, all things that you think are brilliant, of course, should come to my personal Twitter account. Yes. I also have a, a food and wine blog called discoveriesinfoodandwine.com, uh, although I, I'll admit to it getting only sketchily updated might not be as as recent as it should be. All right. You can reach us by going to our website, commanderandmtg.com. Our email is cast at commanderandmtg.com. You can find us on all of the social medias by searching for Commander and MTG Podcast. This episode was edited by David Mitchell. Our theme song was created for the podcast by Nate Burgess. Our logo was created for the podcast by Mr. Picto with assistance from Kelly DeLuca. You can find more art from Mr. Picto by going to mrpicto.co.uk. Special thanks to tech whizzes Jesse Thompson and Graham Frank, and to Justin for the server space. And special thanks to Mike Condon, editor of the Brothers War podcast, for the guitar version of our theme song. We're also making a few changes behind the scene. We want to thank Tyler Webb for helping us change hosting services for the podcast. Tyler and his friend Chris host the Unformatted Review Show, it's an unfiltered, rambling look at a different movie every week where the only rule is, there are no rules. I've listened to many of the episodes myself, and they're two good friends talking about movies. But be warned, they aren't family-friendly, so you probably don't want to play them around children or in stores like you do Commander in. Commander and MTG Podcast is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy. It has not been approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast. Copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Now, Sheldon, you uh, are known in many circles, and perhaps uh, one or two committees and or advisory groups, for being uh, witty and thinking fast on your feet, so would you take us out? Commanderin, or as we call it, the aristocrats. Oh, God. <laughs>
speaking of which, I'm totally building an Aristocrats deck now that Taysa's out. Just saying. That's funny. I was building one, and uh, then Taysa came out, and I'm like, well, hmm. <laughs> I guess that's what we're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> 